Amen, amen. Let's have a seat, everybody. Let's get ready for the word of the Lord today. Everybody doing well? Awesome, awesome. Well, officially this morning, welcome from me to you to New Life Church. So glad you're here in the house of the Lord. And uh, it's a great day. The, I see the sun is actually coming out now, finally. Uh, the rain is uh, dissipating. So I think we're in for a good week of uh, at least weather-wise, but we're even in a better week because Jesus reigns. Amen? R-E-I-G-N-S. Yes, He reigns. So let me invite you to open your Bibles with me this morning to the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 13. Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 13. And then I'll be reading a text out of the New Testament, which will be the message version, and these will be also on the screen behind me. As Pastor Lindsay pointed out, next weekend, pretty big weekend for us as a church. Uh, we, we are using the weekend uh, as a time to cast vision for the fall and to talk about the future of what the Lord has for us uh, the rest of this year. And it's going to be big. It's going to be exciting. And to, to head that up, uh, Saturday we're going to do a little loving on the building, as she said. So I uh, as many as you can who can make that, uh, as whatever time frame you can come, we have a sign-up sheet for that, uh, for you to show up and just help and uh, serve a little and, um, and get a chance to rub elbows with fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord as we uh, embark on loving our church a little bit next weekend. So, and then Sunday, of course, heart for the house, Sunday with a meal after church. So uh, we already got you covered. Uh, you don't have to worry about it if you don't have the money to, sh to go somewhere. It's already covered for you, all right, next Sunday morning. So uh, again, wanted to plug that from me to you as well. So let's look at it, 2 Kings chapter 13, starting in verse 14. It says, When Elisha was in his last illness... King Jehoash of Israel visited him and wept over him. My father, my father, I see the chariots and the charioteers of Israel. And he cried out. Elisha told him, get a bow and some arrows. And the king did as he was told. Elisha told him, put your hand on the bow. And Elisha laid his own hands on the king's hands. And then he commanded, open that eastern window. And he opened it. And then he said, shoot. So he shot an arrow. Elisha proclaimed, this is the Lord's arrow, an arrow of victory over Aram, for you will completely conquer the Arameans at Aphek. Verse 18, then he said, now pick up the other arrows and strike them against the ground. So the king picked them up and struck the ground three times. But the man of God was angry with him. He exclaimed, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have beaten Aram until it was entirely destroyed. And now you will be victorious only three times. I could stop, but the story goes on. Then Elisha, the prophet, died and he was buried. Groups of Moabite raiders used to invade the land each spring. Once when some Israelites were burying a man, they spied a band of these raiders. And so they hastily threw the corpse into the tomb of Elisha, and they fled. 
But as soon as the body touched Elisha's bones, the dead man revived and jumped to his feet. King Hazael of Aram had oppressed Israel during the entire reign of King Jehoahaz. But the Lord was gracious and merciful to the people of Israel, and they were not totally destroyed. He pitied them because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And to this day, he still has not completely destroyed them or banished them for his presence. Verse 24, King Hazael of Aram died, and his son Ben-Hadadad became the next king. And then Jehoash, son of Jehoaz, recaptured from Ben-Hadad, son of Hazael, the towns that had been taken from Jehoash's father, Jehoaz. Jehoash defeated Ben-Hadad on three occasions. And he recovered the Israelite towns. New Testament, Romans 5. Message version, by entering through faith into what God has always wanted to do for us, which is set us right with Him and make us fit for Him, we have it all together with God because of our Master, Jesus Christ. And that's not all. We throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that He has already thrown open His door to us. We find ourselves standing where He always hoped that we might stand, out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall and shouting our praise. There's more to come. We continue to shout our praise even when we're hemmed in with troubles because we know how troubles can develop passionate patience in us and how that passionate patience in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert for whatever God will do next. An alert expectancy such as this, we're never left feeling shortchanged. Quite the contrary. We can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. Christ arrives right on time to make this happen. He didn't and doesn't wait for us to get ready. He presented himself for this sacrificial death when we were far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready. And even if we hadn't been so weak, we wouldn't have known what to do anyway. We can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for, and we can understand how someone good and noble could inspire us to selfless sacrifice. But God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use whatever to him. Let's pray. Almighty God, gracious God, we come before you today thanking you that you are powerful and you are loving. And this morning as we hear your word, open our eyes to see what you want us to see. Open our ears to hear what you want us to hear. And open our hearts to receive what we need to receive. And help me now speak your truth. Preach your word. Declare your promises. In the spirit of love the love of Christ Jesus. Have your way, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Everybody who wants that can say, 
Amen. Amen. Today I want to talk to you on the topic, the Lord's arrow of victory. The Lord's arrow of victory. There are so many good things in this story with Elisha and the king that collide and couple with what Paul just told us in Romans 5. Here's the background a little bit in this story with Elisha and the prophet, or Elisha the prophet and King Jehoash. At the time, Israel, they were in ashes. Things were not good for them. The kings, for the last several reigns, had done evil in the sight of the Lord. And Jehoash was doing the same thing. He was not doing what was right. He was doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And he found himself in a place where he recognized things were not good. And so he turned to the Lord through the prophet. And he went to visit him. Elisha, at this time, however, he was on his deathbed. I would say it was his last miracle, but actually it was his second to last because he even did a miracle after he was dead, as we just read. But it was his last miracle while he was alive. And the king, he saw that his, basically his, his army was depleted. Fifty charioteers, ten chariots, ten thousand foot soldiers. That's nothing. I mean, that's pathetic. Awful. Not going to do anything. No damage. Just hoping to stay alive. And so he turned to the prophet. He recognized who this prophet was. Elisha was known. He turned to him in a, in a position of, this is how I'm going to turn to the Lord. And Elisha told him to do something. He said, go get some bows and, a bow and some arrows. Get a bow and some arrows. And he did. And, he said, put, and, and he, he said, put your hand on the bow. And then Elisha it said he put his hands on top of the king's hand, a sign that when you turn to the Lord, God's hand will also come on your life. He said, open that eastern window. Open that eastern window. And he said, now shoot this arrow. This arrow is the arrow that the Lord has given you for victory, the Lord's arrow of victory over Aram in Aphek. And he shot it. And it went out the window. Now, the, this is where it gets interesting. Everybody follow me? Aram... And Ephek, at Aram at Aphek. Here's what that means. Aram, Aphek. Here's what that means in Hebrew. It means exalted enclosures. Exalted enclosures. So they've been dealing with some exalted enclosures oppressing them for a while. Translate what are exalted enclosures? Well, for us today, I mean a whole lot of things. The list really is endless depending on what it is, who we are, where we've been, what we choose, how we go about our life. But those exalted enclosures, they can be anything. They could be addictions. They could be secret sins. They could be bad attitudes. It could be sharp tongue, negative tongue, backbiting tongue, you name it. It could be a critical spirit. It could be 
you maybe have issue with lying. It's an enclosure in your life. Maybe you're addicted to pornography. It's an enclosure in your life. Maybe you just can't stop cheating. So you do that. It's an enclosure in your life. You know, I can name, we can sit here and name all kinds of things. And the thing about this is we all have some exalted enclosures in our life. Things that we allow to reign in our life more than we allow God to reign in our life. And they oppress us. Some of these things might not be every day. Some things that you and I contend with might not happen but once every six months to a year. Maybe when you go through a certain situation is when that thing pops up. And we don't really think about it too often because it's cyclical, it's, it's, it's sporadic. Other things, though, are there every day. Other things might be short temper. Whatever it might be, other things might be more routine, more, more daily in our life. And the thing about it is, is we all have some exalted enclosures that happen in our life. That doesn't mean we're not saved, doesn't mean we don't love the Lord, doesn't mean we, we're, not, we're not trying to follow Him in any capacity whatsoever. It just means that, that we have not gained victory in certain things. And I believe that the Lord wants His people to walk in ultimate victory even while we're still, still here on this earth. Doesn't mean it's not a process or that there's not a journey involved. It just means that as we take our steps and move forward, that we're determined to not let whatever exalted enclosure may exist continue to exist in our life. That we determine to surrender it all to the Lord. That we determine to humble ourselves before God. That we're determined to let Jesus truly be God and reign in us. Amen? Doesn't mean we don't love God. Doesn't mean we're not trying. Doesn't mean. Our hearts not turned to Him. Doesn't mean that sometimes. Sometimes it's not and sometimes it is. Only you can answer that before the Lord. But do you have these exalted enclosures? And here's the thing about these exalted, exalted enclosures. Is they leave us crumbled. They trap us. They contain us. They prohibit us. They, they are strongholds in our life. And they're not God's best for us. See, these exalted enclosures in their life, when we let those things be big and reign in us, and reign over us, then it leaves us living from a life of defeat, a position of being defeated, and not from the position of, of victory. Why else would, would the Lord call us more than conquerors if He did not expect us to be more than conquerors? Why would he tell us in his word that we are overcomers in Christ Jesus if he did not expect us to really be overcomers in Christ Jesus? No, we can be because God said so. And that is how he has set this life of faith up in him. But we often allow exalted enclosures to reign our life. And therefore we live crumbled. But there is another thing that we know about that's in Jesus Christ. He is known as the exalted one. The exalted one. And when we let the exalted one reign in our life, the Bible tells us that he actually lifts us up. 
See, I think too many times, so many people look at God and they think, well, if I really worship Him and give my life to Him in true honor and true, true fashion, then He's going to take everything away from me. I'm not going to have any fun. I'm not going to have any joy. I'm not going to have any contentment. Then what, what about my dreams and what about my ambitions and what about what I want to do, and so on and so on and so forth. And the actual, the actual fact of that is it's the opposite that takes place. He actually gives you everything that He knows you need. Because he knows what we need. And so he says, when we, ex when we worship the exalted one, we humble ourselves before him. 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. And at due time, at the right time, he will exalt you. He will lift you up. Verse 7. Cast all your cares onto him because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. So all of our cares, every exalted enclosure that you and I might deal with, the Bible tells us to cast all of that on Jesus because he cares for us. And he's the exalted one. So when we put our life in that position and let God reign through Jesus Christ in our life, then here's what happens. Those exalted enclosures, those things crumble and we don't. So we have a choice. We can either live a crumbled life or we can live a humbled life. Can live a crumbled life or a humbled life. I'd rather live a humbled life and not be crumble, crumbled by the things that happen. But I'd rather be lifted up, not by my own account, my own accord, or my own strength, but lifted up by the hand of God. And when God's hand lifts a person up, it says he lifts us up with honor, meaning he is proud to lift you up. He is so full of joy and, and, and contentment to, and fulfillment to take you and lift you up because it's Him Himself, it's His hand operating in your life, in my life, and it's not ourself. Amen? So we have these exalted enclosures that we deal with, that we face, that we all have going on in different levels, different degrees, different ways of working in us. But that is not the place where we're supposed to live from. We're supposed to live from the position of victory. And that can only happen when we let the exalted one reign in our life. Amen? And so the story goes on. The, the pro, you guys with me? You guys following? So the, the prophet goes on and he, and, the, and he told him to shoot that arrow. What's that arrow? The, the Lord's arrow of victory. See, the thing about the first arrow is it's, it's an arrow, I, I look at it in this way, that it's an arrow of repentance. First arrow was an arrow of repentance, meaning the king turned to the Lord in the prophet and he said, I'm here. Elisha knowing, get a bow, get some arrows, put your hands on the bow, I put my hands on you, God's hand on you, you turn to the Lord, the Lord turns to you, following me, following me, when you turn to the Lord, the Lord turns to you, you draw near to me, he says, I draw near to you, we want God to always make the first step, but he's always made the first step, in creation, he created us, at the cross, he gave himself, and at resurrection, he came back, and he said, I've already made the first move. You put your hand to God, God puts his hand to you. And that's the arrow of repentance. Turn to the Lord and the Lord says, and the, the prophet says, then you, this is victory coming in your life. 
This will be, you will now know what victory tastes like, what, it what, you, will, what, it, what you can know it's like, you can taste it, you can feel it, you can experience it, you can walk in it. This is what victory is like when you turn to the Lord. He turns to you and he gives you victory, the Lord's arrow of victory. But that's not where the story stops. Salvation doesn't stop just there. It carries on. It's a continuation, a life journey, a response back to who God is. And so the prophet said, here, now take the other arrows. Strike them against the ground. He didn't give him any other instruction other than strike them against the ground. And, and what did the king do? The king did as he was told, and he took the arrows and he struck them against the ground. One, two, three, right? Three times, feeling good about myself. Three, yeah. And the prophet, though, the man of God, he got mad at him. He got mad at him. Said he exclaimed. I mean, that's, some, that's some, a nice word of saying. He yelled. He said, you should have took those arrows and struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have known what utter and total victory would be like in your life. What was wrong with three? Nothing. But how often are we satisfied with just doing enough and not doing more than enough when it comes to the exalted enclosures that are in our life? Because here's the thing about exalted enclosures they are relentless, they don't stop knocking on your door. Until you change your lock or you move away. Meaning a great change has taken place. Three times. Feeling good. Just enough. How many times do we do that? God, I got this problem, I got this issue, I got this oppression, I got this, this crisis. God, I got, I got all this pressure on me, it's building. I haven't done so well with life so far in this situation or whatever it might be. I haven't really, really got some traction over this thing and it continues to kick my tail, right? It continues to pop up, it continues to be an issue and along the way I've kind of just swept it under the rug and just thought, well, if I just kind of ignore it, you know, forget about it forget about it, then it'll leave me alone. But how many of you know that's not the case? Oh, it might leave you alone for just a moment because you did just a little bit. We did just enough action to sweep it under the rug just three times. And we thought that should do the job until you go do some deep cleaning and spring cleaning or fall cleaning and you're like, who swept this mess under the rug? Oh yeah, it was me. <laughs> And now what happens, you have a bigger pile of mess to clean up, right? Nothing wrong with three times. It's just not often enough. We go so far, God responds. We turn to the Lord, the Lord turns to us. Condemnation leaves, the guilt goes down, whatever you want to call it. We start to feel pretty good about life and about situations, about my purpose, about my destiny and the Lord, and I'm going to get on with it, God, and then... Down the road, some other things transpire. 
you realize the attitude, the outlook, the mindset, the mentality, the character, the integrity issue has not really taken root. Therefore, the heart has not changed. Just the symptoms. Right? See, I'm talking to some people today who's trying to overcome life who want to have some real victory in your life. You want to gain some traction in your shoes, like Usain Bolt. <laughs> or like Michael Phelps in the pool. And I can't leave out the girls, Katie Ledecky. So we do just enough most of the time. Just enough to kind of catch our breath. Just to kind of enough to, all right, everybody knows everything's okay with me now. I'm good. I can carry on. But meanwhile, inside, we know, oh, God, I hope that was enough. Oh, Lord, I sure hope that was enough to deal with it. De deal with this and you get on down the line a little bit, a little life behind you, a few more days, a few more months, whatever it might be, and then boom, something else happens. And you're like, ooh, I hope that don't rise up in me. Sure enough, what happens? It rises up. That exalted enclosure has not been crumbled in your life yet. Why? Because we only struck the ground three times. It was not enough. So the man of God, the prophet, says, he yells at him. He said, if you would have struck the ground five or six times, you would have known what complete and total victory would taste like. Five or six times. So that's what I want to get on now is the five or six times. What is that? I believe the other arrows, the first arrow was about repentance, turn to the Lord. The, the other arrows, I believe, deal with our response to God in the rest of our life. And the rest of our walk. Five or six times. And he said, if you would struck the ground five or six times, then you would have known, you would have entirely destroyed the exalted enclosures in your life. But since you did not, you will only be victorious three times. Who wants to be victorious only three times in their life? Or do you want to be utterly victorious in your whole life? I want to live my life in Christ on this earth Tasting and knowing victory every day. That I don't want stuff. I don't want exalted enclosures to keep getting the best of me. I want to be patient where I'm not. I want to be a good steward where I have failed. I want my thoughts to be pure about people when they haven't been. I know I'm not talking to anybody today. I'm just trying to give myself a good old-fashioned preaching so I can keep on doing what the Lord wants. You will be victorious only three times. Temporary victory. Short, sustaining victory. Which is where a lot of people, I believe, live. 
in the short sustaining victory. But there is another realm, a true realm, a realm of one who is a real Christ follower that I believe will truly taste and see and live what it means to be more than a conqueror. Hooperkaneo. It's the Greek word for more than conqueror. Go around telling that to your friends. I'm a Hooperkaneo. They're going to say like, what are you saying? What tribe are you from? What, what, what dialect is that? Oh, it's Greek. It means more than conqueror. Five or six times what I believe is complete victory, sustaining victory, and generational victory. Too many times we only live for us and we don't live for those coming after us. Too many times we get so caught up and wrapped up in our childish, feverish, fit-throwing behaviors and temptations that we forget we got some children and some children's children and some children's children's children and so on coming up after us. And we got some other people around lurking in the shadows looking to see how will they respond to this? What will they do with this? How will they handle this? And we only get caught up with ourself way too many times. But I dare say that the world is primed, the world is stoked, the world is ready to see some God-fearing, Holy Spirit-filled, Lord Jesus-loving, victory-tasting people who know what it's like to live life but overcome and not be overtaken by it. Amen? That is the kind of life you and I are called to live generational victory five or six times you got time for these strike the ground with this prayer some old timers like to say pray until something happens push prayer test our perseverance the word pray prayed prayer praying appears in the bible 512 times I think God is serious about his people praying. And not just a Hail Mary prayer, but to pray until something happens. Because it tests our perseverance. It tests, are we really going to keep at it? We knock on the door once, no answer. We knock on the door twice, nobody's moving. We knock on the door three times, I hear something going on in there, but we knock four times. I hear something. I, I, I might be steps five times, six times until they answer the door. It's a parable. And Luke, read it. Test our perseverance. How serious are we about connecting and growing and gaining ground with God? Because God didn't save us just to leave us here. He's coming back for us, but he's only going to come back for those who are of faith in him. Prayer. Pray until something happens. You've been, some of you have been praying for some things for 15 years, and it ain't happened yet, and you're like, I don't know if it's ever going to happen. I want to tell you today, don't stop praying. Don't stop praying. Who knows? It might not be answered in your lifetime. But in the next lifetime, in the next generation, that prayer just might come to pass at that time. 
God knows the time. Most of us understand a lot of our prayers are coming to pass in our day and time, in our moment, in our, in our calendar, if we want to call it that. But there are some things that don't. There are some things that we got to linger, we got to tarry, we got to persevere, amen, and we got to keep praying. There might be something that happens in your life and you're like, man, I thought I was past that. No, but it drives you right back to prayer because it shows us our heart's still not got it. Pray until something happens. Strike the ground with that. Strike the ground with this. Praise. Praise relentlessly. Praise relentlessly. What does David say in Psalm 42? Let's look at it. He says, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I put my hope in God. And then he says, I will praise Him again. My Savior and my God. I will praise Him again. Meaning, He's already praised Him once or twice or several times before. Why am I continuing to be discouraged, Lord? Why does my heart weigh me down? Why am I sad? Why do I feel like the world is caving in on me? Wait a second. Wait a second. Soul, put your hope in God. I will praise Him again. The Bible also says that God inhabits the praises of His people. Do you and I want God to show up in our most darkest hour? Then the Bible says praise Him. Praise Him. Whatever you got to do to get yourself stirred in the Lord, praise relentlessly. Praise Him even when it hasn't happened yet. Give Him praise even when you're fighting in your, in your issue, in your battle, and you've, you're facing your things. Still praise God because His presence will show up. And when His presence shows up, the Bible says that when God arises, His enemies scatter. So you're facing an, an exalted enclosure. Strike the ground with praise. Number three, strike the ground by rehearsing the promises of God. Strike the ground by rehearsing the promises of God. See, prayer tests our perseverance. Praise tests our faith. Excuse me, tests our resolve. Will we still stand? Rehearsing the promises of God tests our faith. 2 Corinthians 1.20, it's a song we sang last week, for all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes, and through Christ, our amen for His glory. Another translation, all of God's promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. You won't ever have God's promises happen in your life until you first have, have Jesus happen to your life. Strike the ground with rehearsing the promises of God. What has God said? What has He promised you? What has He told you? Have you written them down? Do you, at, do you at least have them on a CD? Do you at least have them in a ledger, in a journal, in the back of your Bible, on the side of your Bible, on your mirror somewhere, in your dashboard, not covering the miles per hour thing so you can't use that as an excuse? Whatever it might be, do you remember what God has told you? Pray over them. Rehearse them. You know what, to re what rehearse gets you? It gets you perfection. Because then you won't forget. All of God's promises are yes and amen. Strike the ground with what God has already 
promised you? What has He promised you? And don't let off the pedal. Don't let off the gas. All of these are God's promises for us and our church and our families. These are the things that I pray over you every week. These are the things I remind myself when I get discouraged, when my heart gets sad, when life gets heavy and all these things. I go back to the promises that God has already promised us and I know that in due time, He will lift us up. In due time, He will bring the promises to pass. When you're facing some doubts, when you're facing decisions, when you're facing debacles of any kind, exalted enclosures, strike the ground with the promises of God. And if that's not enough, strike the ground with reinforcing the right relationships in your life. Oh, you were good on prayer and praise and promises. Now you're going to talk about people. That's right. Every single one of us, every single one of us need the right kind of relationships in our life. Every single one of us need the right kind of relationships in our life. And when you're facing and dealing with or maybe ignoring exalted enclosures, people are who we need. People who are on our side. People who are with us. There are basically three layers of relationships we need. Let's look at it in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 2, 2, Paul says, Timothy, you've heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now you teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to other people. Three types, or three layers, I should say, of relationships that every single one of us need in our life. We need leaders. We need people who have been there and done that. People who are walking at a place of victory. Doesn't mean they're perfect, but they're able to speak truth back into our life. Because relationships test humility. 1 Peter 5 Peter tells us, humble yourselves before one another. Humble yourselves before your elders, humble yourselves before each other, and then humble yourself before God. How do we know if we're humble before God? Because we're humble in our elders, our leaders, and we're humble with each other. So a layer is leadership. Another, we need people in our life around us who can support us, and vice versa, we can support them. And then the third layer of right relationship is this, is we need people beneath us, not in a proud, look-down-your-nose type. I'm talking about people who are still learning and trying to gain some traction in their life that we are teaching, that we are helping, that we are leading, that we are extending out to and trying to speak life and love and truth into their life. You following me? We need three layers of relationship in our life. If any one of these layers is missing then you're incomplete in your relationship status. We need, you and I both, need three layers of these relationships. So when you're facing your 
exalted enclosures or you're dealing with them or you're ignoring them, whatever the case may be, the only way you're going to gain traction and overcome with victory is you've got to strike the ground with the right relationships. You've got to get the right people involved in your life. You've got to get turned around. read a story just recently about the Olympian Michael Phelps. You know, he had some trouble a few years ago after the London Olympics. He didn't do as good as he wanted, and he thought he was retiring, and he went into a, into a slump. And, and, and the story said that he actually just thought life would be better without him, that people would be better without him, so he was going to end his life. And uh, 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 another prof ex-professional athlete who's a believer came to him and said, here, you need to read this book as you go into rehab because you can't handle the stuff you're dealing with all alone. You need the help of structure and discipline, but then you also need to get some substance inside of you. And he gave him a book, a, a believing book, Christian book. He said, read that. Long story short, he came out. He said, that has revolutionized my life. I don't really know all the details about his private life. I know that because I read about it. And that was a big deal, and I know that he got the right kind of people in his life. Friends, when you and I have the right relationships working strong in our life, it doesn't mean we won't ever face issues or, or have some problems or temptations or, or even stumble. But it's what happens when all that happens. It's who we turn to when all that's going on. Because the devil likes to make us think and believe that people are going to shame you, people are going to talk bad about you, People are going to look down on you. People are going to turn their back on you. People, people are going to, they're going to judge you, man, if you go and talk about that with them. But any person in their right mind in the, and in the right heart, when they've truly done it with the right way, they can say the opposite actually has taken place. No, those people have loved me. No, those people stood up for me. No, those people got my back. No, those, those people told me the flat truth, man. Those people asked me some questions that made me think about some of the things I was doing. Come on, somebody. Anybody know what I'm talking about? If you've experienced the right relationships in your life, you know what it's like to begin to have victory in your walk. Strike the ground five or six times. Strike the ground with this. Prophesy to your life. Prophesy to your life. What do you mean? Just go about and start talking some positive thoughts? Ooh, that's, that sounds pretty good. I'll just say that. No, say the things that are in God's word over your life. Begin to declare to yourself that you, are, you might be facing and dealing with or ignoring, but you know you can't hide forever from the exalted enclosures that are happening in you and around you, and you know something's got to change. Start prophesying to your life. Begin to declare that I am not down here. I am up there. Begin to declare to yourself and over your life that that, that I am not the tail, but I am the head. I am not back there. I am up there. Begin to declare over your life, even when you don't have it all together and you don't have the things to show for it, but you can say, look, I, I know I've, been a, I've not been a good money manager or a steward of the resources God has given me, but I am learning and I'm growing and I'm gaining traction. I will be good at this. I know I've not been the greatest parent or, or the greatest whatever but, or the greatest spouse, but I know the Lord has pricked my heart and I know I've got to do better in this area. So I'm going to go ahead and tell myself I will love my spouse like Jesus loves me. I will be patient and kind to them even when they aren't to me. 
because God is that way to me. Amen? I know I've not been, you know, the, the most uh, talked about in a good way employed because I've been late, I, I've done this or I've done that, but I will be accountable and I will be punctual and I will begin to change my attitude. I know I've kind of joined in with the office gossip about so and so and so and so, but man, that has not done anything good. I will no longer speak negative and use my tongue to speak bad of people. I will only say the good things and if I can't say anything good, then my mama said don't say anything at all. Right? I know the list could go on and on. You're like, whew, he didn't say anything that I was dealing with. I'll just let the Holy Spirit do that with you because it'll actually mean a whole lot more. Exalted enclosures prophesy to your life. Why? Because of what Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 1. Look at this verse. He said this, Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier, may they help you fight well in the Lord's battles. You see, when you prophesy over your life, it helps you fight well in the battles you face. But you got to believe it. And you might have to say these things a bunch of times, a bunch of ways, for a bunch of period of time until it really settles in and sinks in and you really believe what it is that God says about you. But when it starts to settle in and, and that seed of prophesying has been sown and it is planted and God takes it and he grows it, it changes your life. It will actually build faith in you. Prophecy tests our convictions. That's five. What do we do? What did the prophet say? He put that or in there, didn't he? Not the rowing or, but the O-R, whatever is needed, or six times. What is... The sixth time, I, I, five times, man, I didn't do three. I, I didn't stop there. I went to five. I struck the ground five times. What do I do now? Or six. Here's what I think. Repeat. Repeat. Sometimes I get this. I know this in our minds. We do the things we know to do, but we don't always see the outcome we long for. So does that mean we stop doing the things we know to do? No, that's right. No, we keep doing the things we know to do because eventually they're going to lead to the right outcome. Five or six times repeat. This, I believe, tests our obedience. Because the man of God, the prophet, said, if you would have done this five or six times, then you would have known what real ultimate victory would be like. I want to know that. I want to live that. I want to breathe that. I want to experience that. I want to show that. I want to model that. I want to lead in that. I want to leave that for those after me and those before me. This is what real, ultimate, life-sustaining and generational victory is like. See, that's why you and I, we have testimonies because we share about God's greatness and power and favor and faithfulness and all those things. You go through some stuff. You get through it. And you're able to talk about what God has done. Repeat. Repeat it. Five or six times. So you have these exalted enclosures in our life. What do we do with them? 
Are we content with just the first arrow of repentance? Repent, turn to the Lord, He turns to you, but then you go on about your life and ignore and forget whatever He is trying to teach you, and you never gain traction, you never gain, gain any forward progress or motion. You're wondering, why is my life a train wreck? Why do I keep going through the same stuff I'm going through? Why does this pop up after this so much time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Why can't I seem to get this right? Why can't I seem to get this thing going in my life? I, I have this dream, or I have this vision, or I have this thought, this idea, all I'm trying to do is just make it in this world. I'm just trying to make my life work, make my family work, make my kids work, make myself work, but I just can't seem to really get it down. That's because you've got to strike the ground five or six times in your life, meaning we don't stop striking. We don't stop praying. We don't stop praising. We don't stop rehearsing the promises of God. We don't stop re reinforcing the right relationships in our life. And we don't stop prophesying to our life, to our family. We continue to do that time and again. Because it's not just one thing. There's multiple things that flare up in our life. Doesn't mean you're not saved. Doesn't mean you don't love the Lord. It just means you're living from a place of defeat and not from a place of victory. And there's not condemnation in that. There's victory in knowing the truth and applying the truth. Amen. Let's stand our feet.